Hey, my name is Heath. And I'm John. And this is the Filmgrad Review. talking about first man just came out this past weekend we're also going to do a trailer trash for the new what is it called christmas carol the christmas chronicles the christmas chronicles coming to netflix with kurt russell starring as the man in red santa claus but before we jump into either of those I had a busy week last week, and I actually saw, in addition to First Man, I saw Star is Born, and I saw Bad Times at El Royale, so that's what we're going to kick off with. Alright, like I said, I went to the movies three times last week, but it was, it was a good week. It was Yeah, and you didn't have to watch any nonsense like what we've been having to see previously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily this week was, was, was a pretty pretty rewarding week not bad movies (laughs) (laughs) so a star is born it's directed by bradley cooper uh and it's an adaptation of an older property it's been done four times i think uh one in 1937 one in 1954 with judy garland and then once again in 1976 with chris christopherson and babs barbara streisand i think the judy garland one is the most famous of the bunch yeah it has like a camp following and i i've known about it but i've never actually seen any of them to to be honest yeah so when the trailer for this came out i was like oh man this looks really good and i looked it up and i'm like oh it's been done a lot well and it was in the the new one was in development for a long time too because i remember reading at one point that clint eastwood was going to be making it and I thought, Clint Eastwood doing a Star is Born? I don't know about that. But, you know, him and Bradley Cooper are tight, so I guess at some point he just passed it off to him to be his directorial debut. It seems to have paid off well, because right now Rotten Tomatoes has an 89% approval rating. IMDb is an 8.4 out of 10. And Google, I couldn't find a Google approval rating. What? I don't know why. <laughs> I It may have changed by now, but I looked on Google, and where it normally says their thing, it doesn't. Yeah. Huh. But it said like 4.9 out of 5 on Facebook. So anyway. Well, let's not you, bring Facebook into this. <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg's ears just perked. Oh, hi, Mark. So Star Wars Born stars Bradley Cooper and Stephanie Germanata, better known as Lady Gaga. Who I have met. Oh, is she as wonderful in person as she seems to be? She was very polite. The thing that was surprising was how tiny she was. Oh yeah, no, she looks very small. She was she was very small. Uh, I I was working on a show that we ended up filming our penultimate episode during her uh, tour, the um, Born This Way tour, and she w- she did Atlanta at the I don't know what it's called now, but back then it was the Cobb, you know, the Energy Plaza or whatever. Oh, right. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, she actually came out. It was pretty cool. She didn't have to. She actually came out and, and said hi to all of us and said, you know, hope hope you guys film some good stuff. And then and then her security escorted her away. Yeah. She seems like a great person. I actually like some of her stuff, some of her music. So this was... Yeah, she's a she's a very talented artist talented. for sure. And it's it kind of plays into... Oh, I found Google. 95%. 95% on Google. So yeah, her talent really plays well into into the film. 
Uh, so Bradley Cooper is Jackson Maine. He's this mega outlaw country star, if you would, like a like a Charlie Daniels or some sort. I don't know. I'm not or Chris Christopherson. Yeah, Chris Christopherson. As he good. was in the original, the 1976 version. He plays like these big festivals, and uh, he has this bad boy image, and he ends up meeting Allie, who is Lady Gaga, at like a cabaret sort of deal. It's all these drag queens, and she dresses up to look like Edith Piaf. And sings this, like, this French song, obviously. And he just falls for her. And the rest of the film is about him nurturing her creative side she's very shy at first and then uh, he kind of gets her to come out of her shell and the whole story behind a star is born is that the mega star ends up fading as the as the new one brightens if you will right and yeah. i feel like even if you haven't seen any of the previous iterations or this one you know the story like it's yeah it's it's become part of the the lexicon it's become part of you know our our narrative toolbox you you know the story even if you haven't seen the movie because you've seen some version of it done right right so i I mean i'm not gonna get into the the details of of the ending and everything but i will say that um i cried through about a third of the film cried and i just i openly wept in the theater next to my girlfriend who was crying too oh man and you could hear sniffles and like People were sobbing oh, in, in our theater, and it was warranted. Everybody did really well. Bradley Cooper's direction was, I mean, there wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was a very well-done film as far as being clean and being uh, concise with you know cuts and everything. But uh, Andrew Dice Clay is in it as Ali's, oh, no yeah, as Ali's father, and I am not... A dice fan really at all but i don't care for his comedy yeah I, he was great he was good in uh i think it was a woody allen film a couple couple films ago uh maybe it was blue jasmine he was in and he was actually really good yeah he wasn't this like bigoted guy he's just very well portrayed like long islander or whatever sure yeah and Dave Chappelle is in it as well, which you can see in the trailer, and right. he gives a really raw performance as well. Very, very well done. That kind of shows that he has some acting chops as well. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. it's it's been shown over and over again that comedy is really the more difficult of the genres to act in. So when you when you get put in a dramatic role and you're a comedian, oftentimes... You know, you, you really shine, particularly if you have to bring any sort of raw uh, emotion or, you know, that, that sort of darkness that comedians are always hiding, you know. Right. So that doesn't surprise me that he would be that he would Well, be maybe good. that's why Bradley Cooper did so well. I mean, he kind of cut his teeth with some comedies and then just oh, yeah, that's really... true. Wedding, wedding Crashers. <laughs> yeah, Wedding Crashers and uh, uh, The Hangover. But as of late, he has really, really started doing some more dramatic roles and i love every time he's on screen he's a good actor i think i can't think of a of a bradley cooper movie that i absolutely hate i mean i really liked uh the a team 
yeah, it was entertaining. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he so he he proves that he's not just a pretty boy. That he's very capable at, at directing. He's capable at being dramatic, and uh, he's come a long way. So. I would highly recommend A Star is Born. If you don't want to be seen weeping in public, maybe wait for it to come out of out of the theaters. But um, I... Or if you subscribe, as I do, to the Ron Swanson <laughs> Pyramid of Greatness, where crying is acceptable at funerals in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, there it is. Capitalism. God's way of determining who is smart and who is poor. But so yeah, I, I would recommend seeing it, whether you see it in the theater or, or later. It's it's definitely worth worth seeing. Yeah, I'm I'm still excited to see it. Hopefully, I'll get the opportunity. Um, I really did want to see it uh, back when it came out. Uh, I guess it came out next to Venom, uh, but you know, only had time to squeeze in one. And man, I chose the wrong one. <laughs> All right. In addition to *A Star Is Born*, I also saw *Bad Times* at El Royale. It is written and directed by Drew Goddard, who did Cloverfield, Cabin in the Woods, uh, World War Z, Martian. Uh, it's his second directorial feature, the first one being Cabin in the Woods. What did he do on Martian? Was he the writer? Uh, yeah, because uh, Ridley Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott directed it. Or I thought that Joss Whedon directed Cabin in the Woods for some reason. but I think he, he exec produced it. Yeah, maybe that's why. Rotten Tomatoes, 71%, IMDb, 7.5 out of 10, and Google, 85%. Okay, Google's not impressed. (laughs) So, uh, I could run through all the stars. It's Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Chris Hemsworth, Dakota Johnson, and then Cynthia Erivo. She is like a a West End star. You could do it, and you did do it. Uh, Yeah, right? Uh, She'll also be in Widows. Which Widows is already getting, like, Really high marks. Yeah, it looks really good. Steve McQueen does great stuff. Bullet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Rimshot. Each character has a distinct personality. They all kind of fit an, an archetype of some sort, if you will. And that kind of hurts the movie overall. What what kind of movie would you say it is? Is it is it like a noir, or is it like, is it is it Quentin Tarantino light? Or I saw a review that says it's a neon lit neo noir. Okay. I'm like okay, that, I mean that sure, and uh, yeah, there's I guess some noir features, but it's more of a thriller. Okay. If you saw the movie Identity, the John Cusack, John Cusack, one? yeah, yeah, it's very similar. Uh, I guess maybe because they're stuck in a motel. But yeah, it's yeah. a very similar feel. Uh, but yeah, so all of the characters fit an archetype, and that kind of hurts overall because even though you get some backstories for these characters, you feel like you really didn't need much of it because they've already like, oh well, this person's this kind of guy, or this person's that kind of person. So um, it feels like shorthand. Yeah, that was that was one of my biggest problems with. Uh tarantino's last one hateful eight like it felt the same way you just had a big room of archetypal uh caricatures and you didn't really have you know characters with a whole lot of depth uh right and and then there were just too many of them too yeah and they went on and on about how tarantino used the the wide lens and how great that was i'm like sure in the and then he shot it in all a, inside yeah, in one room. Like, yeah the, yeah, the outdoor scenes were were epic and very breathtaking. And then he chose to do the rest inside of a built a uh, little shack. But 
Anyway, yeah, I we both talked about that, and we were not fans of, of Hateful Eight. So even though the characters aren't really well fleshed out, the people that are in them still do them do them justice. Uh, it's still an entertaining flick. The kind of newcomer who is a star in the film is Louis Pullman. He plays the concierge of the El Royale. He does a really great job of kind of being understated and and then mattering a lot more towards the end. One of some of the complaints I heard were that it it didn't really have much meaning or much at at the end of the film. It it didn't feel feel very satisfying to a lot of people. Like it had like a lot of flashy moments and you know good actors as you mentioned, but that that the story was kind of a letdown ultimately. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So in the trailer, you can see. Uh, Jeff Bridges, he is robbing a like an armored car. There's money flying everywhere. He's got a mask on. They set that all up, but then they never fully pay it off. Yeah, it never really gets paid off in the end. That story gets resolved, but it's it's just like okay, well that's the end. There's nothing. Okay, it's like they're just tying up the yeah, loose end. Yeah, right, basically. right. And then even though that end was tied up, there are still other ones. Like there are deaths that occur. And there's no reason, there's no explanation as to why. Uh, you can see in the trailer, someone is laying out what looks like wiretaps on a table. Right. And that's never explained. Okay. Yeah, so it's... Um, so it has it has narrative, it has, basically it has writing problems, is what you're saying. Yeah. And it feels like there was some stuff that may have been left on the cutting room floor. I read that in a review as well is that there are things that that are set up that very well could have paid off in the end, and it, and it looks like it's going that way, but then they just fall. Yeah, maybe the the studio was saying this is too long or something like that. Yeah, and at two hours and 21 minutes, it was definitely a Ooh. long, long flick. Uh, but, like I said, if you liked Identity or Murder on the Orient Express, I think it's it's very well done, well shot, it's funny, it's tense, and uh, I would say maybe don't pay the full price you'll see in the theater. Wait for it. So just wait for wait for the streaming wait option. Wait for it on streaming. But, you know, and I, I always hesitate to say that with stuff like this because the studios need to know that this stuff can make money. Oh, they don't care after the opening weekend. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's made all the impact it's going to probably. Yeah, well... Well, here's to hoping that it made enough of an, of an impact. So I think with all those actors in it, uh, nobody's nobody's job is in jeopardy. All right, moving on to First Man, uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. Did uh, Whiplash, La La Land. It's written by Josh Singer, who wrote Spotlight and The Post. So we've got tremendous pedigree uh, behind this film, with Singer having been nominated for Best Original Screenplay, it looks like twice. And then Chazelle being nominated for Best Picture at least twice as well. And it's it's important to point out that uh, the Post and uh, Spotlight both and this film uh, are based on books. They're adaptations, and this is an adaptation of a biography of Neil Armstrong's life. So at least, I guess Singer is good at adapting or good at, at recognizing adaptable properties. Rotten Tomatoes, 88%. IMDb, 7.7 out of 10. And Google, 81%. Really? 
So that is on the lower end of Google. Yeah, that's that that's pretty much a failing grade as far <laughs> as I mean, we have seen much lower than sure. that, but only catastrophically bad. I mean, that's huh, that's surprising to me. First man is uh, there's no secret. It's it's about the race to be the first on the moon. And that's the kind of the climax of the movie is being on the moon. So I don't feel like there's any real spoilers here. But if you really don't know the story of the moon landing, then I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important to point out that it, I mean, it's in the title, First Man. It's a movie about Neil Armstrong. I right. mean, the, the moon landing, of course, is the focus. But it starts, you know, with his career as a test pilot. Uh, there's a, a big focus on his family life in the film. Um, and I think probably a lot of people, maybe why there's a lower grade on Google, a lot of people go in expecting something more like the right stuff, uh, something that's more about the actual event when, no, this is, this is a biopic. This is about the right. man himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point to make because, no joke, at one point during our screening, it was when they were on the moon, there was somebody sleeping in our theater and snoring. Really? So I wouldn't say that it's slow, but if you're going in expecting Apollo 13, you, I mean, that's not what you're going to get. Which, if you are, uh, you will be pleased to know that uh, Jim Wells is portrayed in this film by Pablo Schreiber. So there you go. The guy who Tom Cruise played. Uh, not Tom Cruise. Jim, Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell, sorry. Yeah. The, yeah. The I Tom, was like, Jim Tom Wells. Cruise. Shit, I'm getting everybody's name wrong. Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. There you go. So if you <laughs> all came right, in, we'll cut that. <laughs> Never mind. Cut all that. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it has a, a great cast uh, bringing that up because, you know, of course you got Ryan Gosling and Claire Foy as, as the fronts, but then you've got, I mean, you got Corey Stoll in there as Buzz Aldrin. You've got Pablo Schreiber yeah. in there as Jim Lovell. You've got um, Jason Clark. Um, Patrick, Patrick Fugit. Fugit. Ethan Embry. The, the guy who's, I didn't even know his name before I, I looked it up. It's Shea Wiggum, but you've, yeah, you've Shea seen Wiggum. that guy in everything. Um, yeah, he is doing a lot lately. And I love uh, him. He's great. He was, yeah, he was uh, Captain Dan or Captain Dave in the Wolf of Wall Street. So I want to let you know that we might run into some chop. Captain Ted. Yeah. Which was kind of like a bit part. And I was like, okay, I think that was the first time I really took notice of him. But he's, he's been popping up in, all over the place. In, uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, right, right. I think he's in, was he in Boardwalk Empire? I don't remember. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Uh, he had a bit role, or basically a cameo in the Sicario sequel. We see him in one scene, and then we never see him again. But I want to say he was in Venom. He was in something else that I just recently saw, unless it was a Star Is Born. No, he wasn't. In, I don't. I don't think it was Venom. Maybe. Maybe it was a Star Is Born because he and Bradley Cooper have that relationship. Oh, he was in Bad Times at the El Royale. So yeah, uh, First Man is definitely a biopic, and I think that. Usually there's not much to do cinematically with biopics. Um, you know, you're trying to tell someone's story and there's not a lot of, I guess, creative license you can take. But I think that First Man did a great job of really putting you kind of in Neil Armstrong's feet. Well, or yeah, in, in, his, in, shoes. in his shoes. Putting, yeah. God putting you in his head and putting <laughs> you in his shoes. Uh, it does that. It, there is a, a great decision that uh, Chazelle made from the very beginning of the film to do a lot of point of view. Um, all of the major sequences, the, the first uh, sequence where he is in a test flight, I think it's the X, I can't remember the plane, but anyway, he's, he's, he's going into the upper atmosphere 
and you're inside the cockpit with him. Like, and then later in all of the other launches and space sequences, you're almost entirely in the, even in the helmet of the character and in the cockpit. It's, it's very claustrophobic. It gives you a real feel for what they would have experienced. And I got, I got nauseous at certain times. We saw it at, at in IMAX. Same. Uh, which was incredible. I, I love it when, when films film on IMAX cameras, but uh, I just love the IMAX experience in general. And that opening sequence, like I had to like catch my breath at the end when he finally like touched land because oh, it, yeah. is, it is, it is incredibly well shot. And, but yes, it is, it is very much from the perspective of Neil Armstrong. And that means that you do get sort of a lot of sequences of just Ryan Gosling quietly yeah. staring and and moving and doing mundane things just because of the kind of person Neil Armstrong was, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that even though Gosling, I mean, is top billing, absolutely, he plays the person that the film is about, I think he has less dialogue than pretty much anybody else in the film because he is or was such a reserved person and was a very quiet person. Yeah, he's a, he's an engineer. I've got a, I've got engineers in my family, <laughs> and and they're all like that. You can give them a, a pen and paper and a calculator, and they can do magic. But you know, they're not going to hold your your attention over the dinner table, as is demonstrated in this film a few times. Oh yeah, and what's funny? So my my girlfriend, she is an accountant, and there are things that he says where she nudges me, and she's like, "That's me." Yeah, where he said something was neat. She's like, "Yeah, that, I mean, what else? What else could he say? Like, huh, neat. Like, that's it." And right. they ask him if you could take anything to the moon, what would it be? He says, "Extra fuel." Yeah, exactly. And she, she's like, "Yeah, exactly. What else would you need?" There were a few really uh, good chuckles in this. Uh, yeah, the writing. Uh, you know, we already talked about the pedigree of of the filmmakers, but the. I, I just have to say that I was impressed. It's very cinematic, and then the writing is good. The story moves. They do a good job of using major events in Neil Armstrong's life to signpost for us or to sort of book bookend the narrative, um, his, the death of his daughter, which is, is very emotionally portrayed. Yes. Um, and then, you know, of course, the moon landing. He finally is talking in a way at the end where you're like, oh, yeah, he's excited about this. So you're excited with him. So I thought all of that was really do- well done. The, the the secondary characters do a great job of livening up the proceedings. Jason Clark is great. I mean, you could go through and list everybody, and they're great. Claire Foy gets her moment to be really dramatic uh, in a few a few moments, actually. The, the scene where she goes into the Houston Control Center because they turned yeah. off her squawk box, apparently is based on an actual incident where the, the real wife of Neil Armstrong went and chewed him out for cutting her out of the broadcast when things got dirty. I believe it. Since we're talking about ancillary characters, I think that Corey Stahl as Buzz Aldrin was incredible. because he He's ca- a scene stealer. He really is. He captured Buzz Aldrin's personality perfectly. Buzz Aldrin still has that, that personality. He still has that... Yeah, he's, he's very rakish, yeah, I would say. There was something that I heard um, a little while ago. It was like, today is the anniversary of the moon landing. Do you remember where you were? And he tweeted, I was there. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean... He had a great just... <laughs> uh, cameo on 30 Rock as himself where he, he like has this love affair with the moon. He's talking to the moon. It's, it's very funny. He's very self-aware. I see you. I see what you're doing. Return to the night. 
You've no business here. Are you yelling at the moon? Yeah, I love it. And, you know, obviously we get Buzz Lightyear out of his name, so. To infinity and beyond! And Corey Stoll, he's just, he's racking up these larger-than-life American figures. He he made a name for himself playing Ernest Hemingway, and now he's been Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, Who's he going to I mean, be next, you know? I'm glad that you, I mean, we talked about Blue Jasmine, but, uh... Midnight in Paris, I think, is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies. No subject is terrible if the story is true, if the prose is clean and honest, and if it affirms courage and grace under pressure. It's definitely the best one of his later years, for sure. He did such a great job as, as Hemingway, and then I loved him in Ant-Man, and I wish that somehow he had been able to come back for Ant-Man and the Wasp, even though it wasn't feasible since his character died. But um, Yeah, so I, t- I told you through uh through message that i actually again i i cried at a few moments in in first man as well and it's just because i have because you're a big baby i am i'm a huge baby i have loved space for as long as i can remember i remember seeing apollo 13 and did I you remember, get the pogs do you remember that the... <laughs> i did i actually have the pog holder uh, I think I have four uh, sections of it. Collect all 20 Apollo 13 Pog milk caps and Moon Slammer, just 99 cents with any Hardy's combo. But yeah, I I loved all of it. And when I went to college, I took astronomy as my sciences. And I just, I've always had this fascination right. with what's out there. Not even just beyond, just outside of the atmosphere. And uh, I think that, that First Man really really captures it very well and i think the filmmaker uses silence very well i thought the same thing yeah there there's sequences where they're in space and it's silent and it, it that's a bold choice to make in, in oh, a yeah. movie theater particularly in you know the days of transformers and fast and furious movies and i appreciated it yeah the hatch opens and nothing no sound right. at all and that's when i heard the guy snoring so, okay. yeah, so when uh, this moment is supposed to be breathtaking and, and awe-inspiring, I hear just this dude sawing logs, and I got really, really angry, but I was captivated. I was looking at the screen and just in complete awe of what I was seeing, and uh, I think that if the moon landing were to have been fake then they would have waited, had to wait for this technology to make it look... Right, there's no way. There's <laughs> to no look way. that real. Well, speaking of technology, that's another thing I was struck with, uh, and I think you might have commented on Facebook about this. Like, the, it, it's just mind-blowing to me to watch this and think, there's more technology in my iPhone than they had available, uh, and they went to the moon Their with entire... It. There's, yeah. there's a great sequence where things are going wrong, and Neil sits down with a you know, like a pencil and a notebook yep. to do the math. <laughs> and it's just crazy to me. And he tells his co-pilot to shut up. <laughs> He's like, be I'm quiet. Trying to... I'm doing yeah. maths to save our lives, <laughs> which is something I'll never, I mean, I, I count on my fingers, but I, I respect it for sure. Going back to uh, one of the reviews that I read, they took note or took offense, I guess, with the moment where he's on the moon and he has his daughter's birth bracelet in his hand, and he he tears up and drops it. They're like, that's not something that Neil Armstrong would do. And I'm like, come on. 
Like, well, the movie Neil Armstrong absolutely would. It has built that. It has earned that moment. Yes. And we really don't know. Armstrong has been pretty close-lipped about all of that. The, the astronauts were allowed to bring personal items. They mention it in the movie, the PPK. Uh, but we don't know what he brought. He didn't tell anybody, and NASA won't release that information. So it's entirely possible he could have done that. Um, and it's it's within the character of the movie. And since I didn't know the man myself, I have no reason to doubt so, it. So, I mean, even if, if the real Neil Armstrong wouldn't have done it, uh, whether that matters or not is irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they take they, they, they take narrative license. The, the first scene is sort of a combination of two events, one that involved Neil Armstrong and one that involved Chuck Yeager, uh, the bouncing off the atmosphere stuff. So it, it it's not important. You know, you're not going to watch a history lesson. They don't change anything other than, obviously, the one big artistic decision that may have impacted the box office with the complete omission of them planting the American flag on the moon. Yeah, and people saw that as a political move and... Well, I don't know how it could be anything other than that. Uh, they spend so much time in the minutia of other things that they I, it couldn't have been a story decision like, oh, well, we won't have enough time. We can't go into this. Uh, so it, it And the way Gosling justified it was political. Oh, he said what? That they were considering these guys as more global heroes or human heroes of humanity or something like that and as opposed to american heroes um and uh whatever if if they had never said anything about it i probably wouldn't have even noticed honestly i i wasn't looking for that moment or i wouldn't i would not have been looking for that moment if it hadn't already been such a big news story and gosling hadn't kind of put his foot in his mouth with you know his comments him being Canadian, he should have thought better. I actually saw a, a Deadline article that broke it down, like how much each of those words cost the box office. And at the time of the writing, it was around $400,000 a word. And uh, depending on how it finishes out, it could be even more than that. Like if you'll never know exactly how many people didn't see the movie because of his comments. But if you look at what the box office was tracking beforehand and what it actually resulted in, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I, I hadn't seen that until I after I had seen the film. So that wasn't on my mind. Like, I saw them. They do. They plant the flag. They just don't show it. And I just didn't think anything of it. I went on with with the rest of the right. film and looked at that. And I saw that it's a social justice warrior film made by Canadians. And I'm like, well, it was, it was a conspicuous, it was a conspicuous and questionable choice, I would say. Uh, And I guess enough people noticed when they screened it at Venice, I guess enough people in that audience were like, well, why didn't they show that, that it came up in the questioning afterwards. And that's when Gosling made his comments. So, but me, would I have noticed it? Not necessarily. Um, because of the way the movie is in the head of Neil Armstrong, you're kind of focused on just, you know, what's happening. They do a great POV shot of his foot, you know, finally touching down, things like that. So the movie does not suffer from the omission of that uh, event at all, uh, narratively. Uh, whether or not the, the success of the film suffered or not is what will probably probably be argued for many years to come, no doubt. Last thing I want to say about movie... Armstrong versus, I guess, reality Armstrong is, it seems that some people think that, because they, they said that if he had if he had teared up, 
he wouldn't have been the right person to be the first on the moon. I'm like, well, who's the first person? Who's the right person to be the first on the moon? Like a sociopath. Someone doesn't show any right. emotion. That, that's a crazy. Yeah, comment. like it's an awe-inspiring. Like that is something that no one else will ever do ever again. No one will ever set foot for the first time on the moon ever again. Right. You are the only person in the history of humanity that will do this. So right. anyway, that's that. Well, I, I I wanted to make one last comment of something that I almost would never comment on, and that's the score of this film. The music was beautiful. Like I left the the theater with the theme in my head, uh, and I guess a lot of it has to do with Chazelle's musical pedigree. His last two films were music related, you know, Whiplash and La La Land. Both. I thought it was an amazing score. Uh, it's probably the most affected I've been by a movie score since maybe Master and Commander many many years ago. So uh, that's one. Th- it was it was a pure cinematic experience for me. Seeing it in IMAX, seeing the way they shot it, the just there's so many beautiful, bound to be iconic scenes, um, and then the music was so great. I I was thoroughly pleased with the whole package as a movie, as a movie. Right, and I think that of the three films we discussed, I think that all three of them will be up for Oscars this this season. I I wholeheartedly believe that. Bradley Cooper will be nominated for Best Director and Best Actor in a Leading Role. Yeah, you got to think so, because I was looking ahead at the the slate of films coming out, you know, around Oscar season, and nothing was really jumping off the page at me. So they, they, you're, you very well might be right. These all might be contenders come so. February. Uh, all right. So like you said, First Man filmed on IMAX cameras. So see it in IMAX if you're going to see it. I absolutely think it's worth seeing in in the theater. If you're feeling wonky about the omission of the American flag. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, I'd say swallow that and go see it. If you like movies, if you like epic movies, if you like seeing um, good cinematography, uh, see this and see it on IMAX if you can. Because there's so few films. I mean, the last one that really took advantage of IMAX was Dunkirk. So I, yeah, I, I would ooh, yeah. I would really encourage anybody listening uh, to see this on IMAX if possible. Talk about another score that stays with you. I mean, oh yeah. I don't think the the music stops in Dunkirk. It's always just moving you forward, and I think it was very very well done. Oh yeah, we could talk for a long time about Dunkirk. And now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, the trailer the trailer trash. trash. Today we're trashing The Christmas Chronicles. The Christmas Chronicles. (laughs) Kurt Russell's latest outing, I guess you could say. Oh my goodness. So this is Netflix. This is a Netflix film. The trailer came out last week and it showed up in my my feed of stuff. And I saw Kurt Russell. I'm like, okay, Christmas Chronicles. And oh my goodness, just... uh, It's so bad from the start. Stop. Kids aren't stupid. They know how it works. To that it it I couldn't even force myself to watch the trailer a second time to discuss how bad it was. I just didn't want to. I was like, I don't want to see that. They're, they're, I don't want to put my eyeballs on that. It's Santa Claus, live and in person, one night only. And I was thinking about it a lot. I mean, Kurt Russell, you know, and. I got to think, you know, he's at this age and point in life where it's probably like he's got kids or like grandkids and he's like, well, you know, I, I, I'll make it for the grandkids. You know, I don't know what they like, but, you know, Netflix threw me a bunch of money. So why not? 
Tim Allen did it. Yeah, I I didn't watch it a a second time either, and I meant to because I needed to have talking points. But all I remember is there's some like cheesy. Oh, the elves! The the tiny... elves are oh. awful. There's like these tiny little CGI elves that kind of look like uh, trolls, like the the dolls. Yeah, what is it? What is it? It's it's a Christmas movie. It looks like the kind of Christmas movie that has already been made with the Santa Claus or with Elf, where you have this more technologically advanced version of Santa Claus uh, that's supposed to be more realistically portrayed. There's this horrible joke where like people are looking at Kurt Russell as Santa Claus and they say, Oh, well you don't look like Santa Claus. And like behind him is a billboard and he looks at this picture and he goes, well, a billboard adds about 80 pounds. And I wanted to punch the screen. You don't look like Santa Claus. Well, billboards add 80 pounds. (sighs) Oh my God. Uh, yeah, there's, and I think I remember, him like looking at the camera like he's trying to break the fourth wall with some of his comments like are they trying to like make santa claus and deadpool kind of like the same thing i don't know it's very he is like a very quippy character he's he's like playing his jack burton or snake plissken sort of persona but as santa claus and i gotta say he looks his beard looks great um, yes you know i it's hard for me to hate on kurt russell at all other than to say come on man just what is this garbage you're in? And I don't I don't even think I came away with what the real crisis in the film was. Christmas is in trouble. Other than I think it felt very much the same thing as like Elf. Like, oh, people don't have Christmas spirit anymore. Oh, we got to, there's something we got to solve. Can't get around the world uh, get, get, and in one night. I think that's, that's what it is. Like Christmas isn't crisis because he can't. Like, he can't get around the... Yeah, like, he can't get around the world in enough time. I don't know. And then why is it called The Christmas Chronicles? Is this going to be more than one film? More than one story? Or is it just, well, nothing's been called that before, and there's been a million movies about Christmas, so we got to call it something. I mean, you know, at least if you think back to Tim Allen, the Santa Claus, you know, it had a pun in the name, but, you know, the, the general conceit was new, and... And so it brought something to the table, right? You know, the idea that Santa Claus is not one person. It's it's a role that's filled every time the other guy dies, which is kind of morbid. But um, I liked the Santa Claus. Yeah, of course. It was uh, was great. Well, when I was young, I liked it. I I did watch it as an adult uh, some years ago and thought, oh, man, didn't age well. But when it came out, it it definitely was one of my favorites uh, growing up. But this this just looks like trash, and uh, hence the trailer trash. I mean, every joke is so lame, and the whole concept is lame, and the elves look terrible, and there's just no redeeming qualities to it other than, well, that is Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell having to say some of the most inane stuff, like, oh, the billboard adds 80 pounds. Um, there are a litany of... Uh, sins that have been committed by terrible Christmas movies, and I think this one has taken all of them and wrapped them into one glossy Netflix package. Oh man, which means kids will probably watch it, so 
they'll get their well and like i said i gotta think uh you know kurt russell's like i don't know what kids like i guess they'll think this is funny gotta have something for the grandkids to watch because i know that's what like motivates a lot of what jack black has been doing in recent years is just he 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 said in an interview one time he's just making movies for his kids now so you know goosebumps and and clock in the walls if you ever meet mrs claus maybe just skip this part all right so that wraps up the show today we talked about a star is born i highly recommend it bad times the el royale i recommend seeing it on streaming but you go see it in the theater if you like uh first man john and i both agree that it is well worth the ticket to see it in imax it's a very well done film and then we just really really trashed the christmas chronicles it's in kurt russell it has Santa Claus schlock that's coming out soon on Netflix. So It might end up being one of these things that's just so horribly bad you have to watch it, you know, but Ooh, I guess we'll see. Like The Room. Yeah, well, I don't know. Nothing is really in in, <laughs> in the category with that, but... Uh... Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. All right, so next week, make sure you join us. We're actually going to have Val Kilmer in the studio. I'm going to ask him... I'll be a huckleberry. I'm your huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask him what uh, what he thought about being Mark Twain in a movie that nobody saw. That's a lovely feeling. That's just like angels licking me. And uh, if he lost all the weight to come back as Iceman. So that I'm should be he's a fun, looking good. Should be a fun conversation to have. All right. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. See you next time. See you next week. Bye.